Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, Ahrefs has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Search Engine Journal Show. I am your host, Brent Satoris, and today we are joined by Bill Hunt, president of Back Azimuth, world-renowned speaker and SEO expert, and really, really knowledgeable about hreflang, which is what we're going to talk about today. We talk about what it is, some of the intricacies, um, how it can get complicated. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to to talking to you. Yeah, I mean, I always kind of pimp you a little bit whenever I'm talking about you online or even on these shows, because I mean, I think most people in the industry know uh, that you're pretty much one of the top, I would say the top five SEOs in the world at this point when it comes to knowledge, ability to actually deliver on what you talk about and to really think kind of bigger scale. Um, right. I mean, we, we love to, uh, you know, look at digital marketing as kind of like a small thing back in the day, but it's really evolved, you know, over the years to be super, super big and, 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 and really important for a lot of global and, and fortune companies to have success. And when you think about what those companies are doing in marketing, your name's always in that hat. So um, first off, I'm super, super uh, stoked to have you uh, on the show. And secondly, I'm really excited about this topic in particular, because I think there's so much misunderstanding around around um, hreflang. Um, not that people don't know what it is, but I think that's about the extent of what people know about it, is what it is. Um, and, and for anybody who doesn't know that, can you take a moment to just kind of fill us in on what is hreflang? Sure. It's, uh, it originally started out as just as a meta tag that said, uh, and it, it pretend you're having a conversation with, with Google. It's like, hey, Google, I'm glad you found this page you're on. Um, and then the tag says, this page here is for the U.S., the U.K., or whatever market page you landed on. And just to let you know, I have these alternative pages for specific uh, language regions. Um, and so, you know, you can have a URL in there for the equivalent page for the U.K. or Australia or Spain. And then what happens is, is they take that as a signal. And when somebody searches, in, let's say in English, for your company uh, in the U.K., Google will actually swap out that global or the U.S. URL that's ranking with the one you've designated for that market. Um, and that's essentially what it is. And it, that in itself is what makes it extremely valuable but extremely complex. Is it something where you need to have like a slash ES or, you know, at the end of the URL or have a specific page um, to do that? Or is this something that you can also do with like, uh, you know, uh, not cloaking, but like uh, user, you know, targeting? 
Yes. I mean, you have to have a designated page. I mean, that's essentially what it is, that it's this page for this market. Um, and, and the whole slash ES or that, that's where things get complicated, because, um, it, which is also why we need this. So in first wave, you can have a slash UK. Um, we all think of that as being the United Kingdom. But it could it be that it could be Ukrainian language? Um, or does Google know that UK doesn't mean, I don't know, user keys or some other acronym that you have? So so we needed something beyond that. The second piece, and we get a lot, is people saying, hey, I've, I've put Google Translate in across 13 languages on my site, um, but Google's not picking those up. Can I use hreflang? And when you look at it, it's one page that Google Translate will spin out into X number of languages. So you technically only have one page. Um, a variation on this which gets creative and confusing is when somebody has a, say, an English page uh, and then a Spanish and a French, and then they say, you can set that for global French or global English, but you can also set it to say this global page in English is equal to the U.S. and U.K. and Australia. Um, and I think that's where people are getting creative and getting confused with how to deploy this. But it is, like you said, you have a dedicated page to a language um, for a market. So British English is the proper way to phrase this. Um, you just want to make sure the search, and really it's Google and Yandex, um, that that's the page you prefer. It, it works very similar to a RHEL Canonical. You know, I have a page with tracking parameters. I don't want you to index the page with the tracking parameters. I want you to use the root version. It works the same type of concept. Well, it seems like we're talking about language, but I think a lot of people interpret, and it may be true, uh, to interpret it as, you know, selecting the page for the country. Is, is that different and and where does that find difference because the the reason i say that is like what if i actually have a page that's in english but it's meant for uh people in mexico and so i right. i have it in english but i i want it to be a different page for people there because it has different philosophies or different tools or different services or whatever that might be or, or it's it's just for your office in mexico and because people in mexico you know, people. A lot of people speak English. That makes sense. So, by Nate, by definition, hreflang is language, and what you and this creates complexities. So, you have an English language site, but then when you spin out that UK, in theory, you've adapted it with, you know, switching out Z's and S's and things like that to make it. You know, you might use sort of lift instead of elevator. Um, that it's explicitly language english language for the united kingdom and and i think this is where people sort of mix this up is they think we're setting this for the uk but you're just simply saying this is english for the uk um back to your mexico one you know a lot of people would have say dot com slash mx slash es so an english language page for mexico or even the reverse we see this a lot in the united states where we've got a dot com and then we've got a .com slash ES, and it's for Spanish-speaking people in the United States. If it's in Spanish, then obviously it's in Spanish. Google doesn't necessarily know what market that is. Um, and the reverse in your example for English, it doesn't know that this is for there. Now, we can go in and set the slash ES 
let's say in your example in Google Search Console to be for Mexico and it's just it's just a signal saying that this is a page specifically for Mexico even if it's in English and this is where you know this doesn't necessarily help all the time because if people are using like if they're looking for Sony um, it's it's not really any language so sometimes Google struggles with do I want the US page? Do I want the UK page? Do I want the Mexico page? Um, and so it tries to give the best result. And then it might take a secondary signal from HRF Lang saying, oh, okay, for Sony and they're in Mexico, uh, let me show the one that they've designated for Mexico. But it is language dependent, um, which creates some problems in itself. What about when you are doing HRF Lang type tags? and you're doing a language but you're a u.s site and you're targeting a u.s audience is it required in that sense because it makes me think that you would want it even for every site so that if somebody outside of the country is specifically looking for an english site in their country it would href lang the english version of the u.s site is that something that people need to think about or is this only for people that are really trying to be outside of the country that they're operating in well, let's let's take a couple scenarios. Scenario one is is that you've got your site, you've got a U.S. centric site, could be just straight.com, and then you've got a site for Australia, uh, and it could either be a, a, a you know a, a, what is it .com .au. It could be a .com slash au for Australia. That you know, especially if it's a .com, Google doesn't know that that AU means Australia. So if you have one site, let's just simplify this. If I have one site, one .com in English, um, that's by effect a global site. And in that case, if that's the only site you have, the only language version you have, then you really don't need an hreflang because there is no language alternative. Okay. And there technically is no need to say, oh, I also want this to show up in the UK and that. You can. Now, I'm going to put this out with a huge asterisk um, that, that we've seen some cases where you can take this and sort of point it to some markets, you know, where it might give you a little nudge, let's say in the UK, because now you've taken this US site or this what's, you know, stereotypically a US site with a .com. And then now also said explicitly that it's there. So you can take the same site and you just stack the tags or stack the alternate reference to say UK, whatever. We we often do this. So I'll give you a better example. Well, I think that's uses. the logic, right, Bill? I think that's the logic people have is like, hey, I want to rank better in, in a Spanish or a German market for my .com. So I'm going to make a German page and then I'm going to mark it up. And then when people are searching for my product, they're going to see my page show up better. Um, and that seems to be like just a really small aspect of that. Right, exactly. But if it's in German, any place that's searching in German, if you've got all the rest of the signals in place to rank for the German phrase, then the German site will show up. Now, when we get into complexities and why hreflang is critical is that same German site, you start seeing sales from Austria and Swiss speaking, I mean, uh, German speaking Switzerland, and you're like, oh, okay. I need things in different currencies, maybe. Um, I need things in different, you know, prices or whatever. Um, so you splinter out that Austrian site in Austrian German. So which does Google show? 
you know, if you're in Germany, then you'd think that they'd be smart enough to show your Germany site versus Austria. Um, but a lot of times, especially borders, we have a lot of this with Canada where, you know, it, it shows one or the other, but not necessarily the right one. Where with HRF Lang, it's going to say explicitly, hey, somebody in Austria doing a German language search, I want the Austrian version to show up. And it is a signal, explicit signal saying you want this version for this market, uh, this language version. So this version of German for Austria is for Austria. Um, if we step back one, the one where we see it the most problem right now is this mythical place called LATAM or Latin America yeah. or APAC. You know, for those that are budget challenged or organizationally challenged, they can only have one site, you know, to span, you know, 40 different countries in the region. Um, you know, well, there is no country. Uh, LATAM, we see a lot where people will put in LA. Um, you know, and, and say that's for Latin America because developers think that way, right? Because, hey, L.A. makes sense, so let me put it in there. Uh, L.A. actually means Laos. And mm. so you've got a sp – and so back to your English question about Mexico, now you've got a Spanish site that you're saying is actually for Laotian. Yeah. So then Google's like, ah, I don't have time for this and ignores them. So this is one of those examples where when you have a LATAM, what we typically do is we will clone that page. So in your hreflang tag block, we'll ha we might have six um, you know, rows of the same website. So that LATAM site or page will say it's equal to Peru, it's equal to Argentina, Mexico, uh, Chile. Um, and then that way it knows that it is – because we can do Spanish, but then what if you have another Spanish for Spain? So this just takes the ambiguity out of that um, and so we can either set it for Spanish uh, or you can set it you know we'll clone four or five markets and tag it that way well it definitely sounds complicated and I had even mentioned to you earlier um, you know that one tweet from John Mueller uh, that said you know to be honest HRF Lang is one of the most complex aspects of SEO if not the most advanced and complex one um, feels pretty easy like a meta tag but it gets really hard quick and it seems like it's not necessarily, although I've seen examples from you and Aleda and a handful of other people of people actually tagging things wrong, it seems like it's more of uh, how are you strategically trying to set yourself up where the complexity in lines. Um, is that true or is it also kind of difficult just in how you structure the code itself? No, the code is frighteningly simple. Um, that tweet from John almost immediately made my life pretty much, you know, I was going to say a living hell, but um, because everybody and their brother, you know, we all have these egos in search. We want to chase the most complex thing. Mm -hmm. We want to be the the uber leader and things that are complex. And so everybody and their brother was out there, you know, sort of talking that they're an HRF Lang or a global search expert. But you're absolutely right. The tags themselves are frighteningly easy to implement. Um, and, and just even stepping back one, there's three ways you can deploy it. Number one is you can use meta tags, one tag per uh, alternate language plus itself. So this is the number one problem people make is they'll have and say, hey, here's my UK version, but you have to have yourself in there. Um, there's a couple of these sort of celebrity SEOs that have written blog posts 
that indicate that your canonical tag does that for you. That's not true. Google's debunked that a thousand times. You have to say, this is my English site. This is my UK or my US English language, my UK English language, my Australian English language. And they all have to be in there. And this is the first dilemma with using meta tags is that if you've got, if you're like Delta Airlines or IBM and you've got 165 country language combination sites, that's 165 rows of code. And, and this is why the second method Google put out within like two weeks was using XML sitemaps because now we can take that out of the page, put it into the sitemap. Then the third method is putting in the head. Um, and, and, you know, that just, you know, again, it, can bloat the head, which is, and it's is more resource intensive. Well, it is the, more complex. When you look at the sitemap side, is it something where once Google indexes this and they understand the href length for a given page, that it doesn't change? Because if they were to crawl that page from something, you know, like let's say they were to crawl that page on its own, they might not see the href length on the page itself. Right. And that's the the beauty. So as we look at why I'm an advocate of XML sitemaps, A, as you mentioned, the scale that I play in, um, it's often the only way to do this. But two, exactly that point, when you put out the sitemap and you have a reference, let's take an IBM or a Lenovo, you know, 100 plus country sites. Um, once Google finds that block, so, you know, global site and then the 100 uh, alternate references, it can lock that in. And it's got the the sync, you know, it's got those alternative versions locked into its database. If, if it was doing it at a page level, it, yes, it comes to a page, yes, it can find them. But in, in a page tagging, it will not make the final connection until it goes to that alternative page finds the reciprocal tag there and then makes the linkage. So if you had a hundred um, versions of a page, it requires that hundred calls of those individual to close the loop in the page, whereas the sitemap does it immediately. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, Google does sort of lock that in until you make a change, meaning you add a company or country or move a country. And this is what we see with putting it in the page is that, you know, sometimes in, in one of the early problems with this was is because there's a shit ton of them, um, you know, people always put their analytics tags first in the head. And so if there's a problem with analytics, Google would just break that yeah. request and, and all your hreflang would, would break too. So that's one of the first things we look at when people are using in-page tags is exactly that. You know, do you have anything that's breaking that? Um does um, does the um, sitemap for hreflang, you know, I don't think it's a special sitemap, is it? Um, and if it's not, is it something that, you know, has to be coded with, a, I mean, are you adding elements to it that are being scraped? Because, forgive me, I'm not, like, deep into this realm, but when I've used the sitemaps and stuff like that, it's normally just, like, here's a list of all my URLs, right? Um, but, but where do you, how does that work itself into those sitemaps? Sure. It's exactly the same base. So imagine that one entry that's got, and, and one of the ways we do this, so we have a lot of companies that, that use the href that we can produce for their regular XML sitemap as well. So it's got the same entry, you know, it's got the location entry of the URL. And then what it has underneath it is all the alternatives for each URL. So you got URL A, 
the hundred country alternatives mm-hmm. break, then the next one, a hundred country alternatives, um, and then it keeps going through that. So they 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 get big fast, um, but it's exactly that. You know, but it's structured the, right. You know, structured it's like, yeah, exactly yeah. the same, hundred percent the same. With the only thing we're adding is the alternative, and then the second gotcha is you if you do one for say the U.S. The U.S. is in the location block, in a re- like in a regular sitemap. You have to have a version that's got the U.K. one in a location block and then the 100 oh, wow. alternatives below it. So, so a file might actually have, uh, you know, you get to that 50,000, you know, uh, URL limit pretty quickly. Yeah, I imagine. Um, so, you know, we break them. And, I mean, we've got – we produce some – we have one client we produce in href for – that it's hosted on a cross domain um, that's like six, six, 67 gigabyte, the entire package that we produce. <laughs> so this because, is not something you're doing by hand. You're not opening up a oh, Google no. spreadsheets and just kind of like starting to crank away on something like this. This is something that you got to, you got to, and it's not just something you can use a sitemap builder because those aren't built in my understanding of them are and experience with them aren't built really for this purpose. Is, is, is there a bunch of tools out there that do this? I know you, I believe you guys actually created or have a tool that does this obviously internally for you, but is this something that that there's like tools out there that people can utilize? There's really not. I mean, there's a couple schools for this, like everything in search, right? There's a group of people that sort of roll their own with some scripts that are out there. Um, there's some people there. You can do some of this with some of the regular crawlers. So again, what makes hreflang complex is if you've got a cookie cutter site that every single page for every single market is exactly the same, same URL path, you can do that in Excel, you can do that with scripts, you can do, that's the easy one. Um, and so, yeah, there are a variety of tools that, that can do it. The moment you add some difference, like let's take somebody that manages the, the sort of uh, terms and conditions side, sort of the, about the company, all that, and say WordPress or in Drupal, and then the e-commerce system is in Shopify, you're now on two separate systems. So the URL structures, and then you start to clone it where, I mean, if you ever want to see the craziness that's the web, go and look at the source code for the homepage for American Express. They have 27 different ways that they reference a homepage for, for markets, everything from fully you know, fully written out names of countries to abbreviations to subdomains to subfolders to, and so when you have that kind of complexity, you need a way to map it, and that's where it becomes a problem. You know, well, it sounds to me like the old. Ch- I mean, it sounds like you can really start to get some nightmare scenarios. I remember the old. You know, when we first started coding way, way, way back in the day, it was like, where's that one period missing? That's exactly breaking everything right and it's not so it sounds like it can quickly lead to some issues which i'd actually like to talk about but i'm gonna take just a moment and pause and let's uh let us hear from our sponsors real quick our sponsor for the podcast Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every seo out there for instance if you're not getting any real significant search traffic href has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on you can easily see the estimated search volumes engage traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic 
Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Cool. Uh, back to what we were talking about. I mean, with with HRF Lang, I mean, we've talked a lot about like the ability to kind of code it, the complexity of it, the the purpose for that complexity, the the ways to kind of approach uh, controlling that complexity. But one of the questions I want to ask about is there there's a lot of things out there like title tags, different like code based things, schema, all kinds of stuff where when you do it wrong, it can have a real negative impact. But with HRF Lang, it seems more like when you do it wrong it just doesn't work and is is there a way for you to like actually break something or is it simply a it works the way you intended or doesn't yeah the only way it can break and we've seen this when people the uk is a good example um people will you know it, the uk and href lang is actually gb not UK. UK is ISO code for Ukrainian language, um, <laughs> which uses UA. And again, like Japan's the number one thing we see. JAJP is the language country, not JPJP. So I think Google's defaulted on if it breaks, if you've done it wrong, um, then they just ignore it because they're slightly smarter than you are and they don't want to hose it. Where we've seen problems is when People have mistakenly coded it one way or another. Like they'll use hreflang. Like I actually saw again one of these celebrity SEOs uh, write that you should use the write the hreflang back to your global page. So if you have an Australia and it was saying Australia, even though it was an Australian site, they were tagging it to say use the the global site. So that was clearly wrong, and for a while, you know, their local pages were dropped out. But again, Google's got this, you know, this stupid trap where they just won't will ignore the tag. So that's the good thing. It's not going to break your system. Um, we have seen cases where, you know, people have. The other side is when they they try to fix something or try to make a change, um, and they were doing well. And, mm -hmm. and it breaks. I'll give you a great example. Like when you were doing um, the interview with Mark about, you know, the new world of, of rank reports and mm -hmm. search results. You know, one of my pet peeves about rank tools is none of them really point out that you have the wrong page ranking. Oh, um, interesting. And so let's say somebody in Australia. Now, if you're in Australia and you're looking at a rank report in Australia, you know, you're probably pulling your hair out every week because the wrong page is ranking. Um, whereas somebody at a global level doesn't really have a lens into this. And now most SEOs will take a, we'll take a position. We don't care what's there. Um, but where this becomes a problem is like, you know, one of our classic success stories was a consumer electronics company that uh, in Australia, their global pages were ranking. A, they'd been around longer. They had all kinds of link value, et cetera, et cetera. But on them, you could only learn more. There was no pricing because it was a global price neutral page. 
So imagine going in and doing a query for product A, and it comes up with a page with no price. So what do you do? Do you go to the navigation, try to find the Australian page? Do you hit the back button and say, screw you, I'm going to use somebody else? When we switch that out, you know, actually replace the US page with the Australian page, in about 40 days, they increased revenue by $8 million. Yeah. Now imagine going the other way, you know, so you yeah, were rocking yeah, yeah. it, somebody breaks your hreflang, um, and then the global page swaps it back out. So then all of a sudden you see, you know, traffic and revenue because people won't come into your market unless you get an IP switcher, you know, to, to basically, you know, suck them back into your market. And, and this is the thing, like I did an audit for a company in Morocco recently. And I hate IP switchers, by the way. But. Because they're crazy, right? It, well, it I just get stuck in loops. Like I was right. sitting here trying to log in the other day to take care of some online shopping and I was going to order a pizza from Papa John's and I was on the UK Papa John's site for no reason whatsoever. And yeah. all of a sudden I'm like, I can't log in. I don't have the right password. What's going on? I'm like, this looks different. When did they update their site? Like, I don't like the way they did this. And why don't I have my account anymore? And Jesus, what have they done? I'm guessing they're trying to do some coronavirus thing. And then all of a sudden I realized, I'm for some reason on the UK page and have to manually go override it. It took me like 20 times in clearing cash to do it. So, and I haven't been to the UK since last year. So it's weird, you know? And that's the thing. That's the, that's why people, why that's not completely accurate to do that. That's what we get from people is, oh, we'll just IP detect them and route them where they need to go. Even going big further, we have a case where, again, another consumer electronics company that in Latin America, in Peru, uh, was trying to roll out some new products and nobody was really coming in from, from organic search, despite ranking well. So we looked at the rank report the agency was producing and we saw almost all the pages that were ranking in Peru were actually pages from Argentina. Right there in the headline, the title is got, you know, company name, Argentina. Picked up Argentina because Argentina is typically first on the country selector. Google crawled through it, got them. Peruvian pages were deemed duplicate. Google, you know, canonical them out in favor of Argentina. And so when a Peruvian came to look for the product and saw Argentina in the search result, not even coming to the page yet, they were self-selecting and going somewhere else. Just by simply swapping that out in the search results, getting a Peruvian page to show up for a Peruvian searcher, you know, was like a 580% increase in traffic yeah, into wow. Peru and nothing changed. Not a single rank changed. All that happened was it swapped out the Argentine page for the Peruvian page because the hreflang told it to do that. And I think one thing to, to make a point here is that this whole concept of like, if we're ranking, we're ranking. If we have traffic, we have traffic. That is so far gone at this point and useless at this point. If you're not focused on that customer experience and that journey, then one, you're fighting against what Google and every other platform is, is basing all of their decisions around. Well, not all of them, but a good chunk of them. Um, and, and not for nothing, you're just not going to succeed. You know, I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way anymore. You really have to focus. And that's the whole thing, like you were talking about with the discussion with Mark. I mean, people are like, we're ranking number one. Yeah, where nobody's looking. You know, it's like, 
it doesn't matter anymore. It's just checking somebody's box and it's not helping the business forward. So I think, you know, if anybody's listening, this is the type of stuff that really matters is, you know, uh, too often people are looking at doing every tactic or every checkbox and not just saying, you know, how do I reach the goal that I have in the best way possible for my company and for my customers. So definitely something I, you know, people need to pay more attention to. And and that's, you know, going to be the key theme of my talk at the SCJ Summit is, you know, moving the needle. And if you want to look like a hero in your company, you know, if you're doing something internationally, you know, one question we get a lot related to HREF Lang is, how do I know I have a problem? And, and either A, somebody's complaining in your organization, or B, somebody's complaining, customers are complaining that they're seeing the wrong thing, um, or C, you quite simply look at a rank report for that market. And if you see like this Moroccan client, uh, they only had one page in French for Morocco. Everything else was France and Canada and other markets. And they were just mortified because they had never seen a rank report of what page was ranking. Just we had this many positions. So so look at that. And, and you know, then once you put href length, in, in a great test of that, and you can do it for one market and then expand after that, is do do a rank report. If, let's say, 40% of the URLs for pages, for words that are ranking well and let's say, the top 10 uh, in Google in a market are from outside of that market, then you have a problem. Interesting. Um, then, then implement hreflang for that market just two pairs whatever market is ranking now and the market that should be ranking deploy that and we're seeing as quick as 48 hours but give it a week to 10 days um and you should be able to run that report again and probably 90 percent of that will be flushed out and, and so after seven you said a week to 10 days i mean is that really 10 days you should start like you know looking at what's going wrong or does it sometimes take a little bit longer it can take a little longer i mean if you have a lot of errors in search console if you have a lot of things if google has to work overtime on your site then yeah it takes a lot longer uh if you got most of your stuff wired together and and attacking some of this low-hanging fruit um it should go pretty quick and especially if you've never had it before and you're not trying to do it for 150 companies at, or countries at one time um doing a test in, in in four or five, it happens pretty quick. I mean, the longest I've ever seen it, even with chaos, has been about 30 days. Uh, like I said, we're seeing it as quick as 48 hours, um, you know, because we'll do the sitemap, we'll fetch it, um, ping a couple of the key pages in that market, uh, and then, you know, boom, you know, it's fixed. by t Almost definitely by the next reporting cycle, you'll see the majority. Now, anything that's not, we typically go back in and we'll try to, especially if it's a marquee page or, or critical product, we often see there's some other conflict that prevented that page, especially when you do tags. Then that means that page hasn't been picked up. And so that's why if we're trying to prime the pump for href while you're trying to build it into your internal system, we'll do an href lang XML sitemap. Google picks all that stuff up fairly quickly. And then once your internal system is wired up, and you test it, then you can pull out the XML sitemap and go with the end page. Um, so it's a it's a nice sequential system that's got almost an immediate return. Now the, the the drawback that we get is like, okay, now this is in place. How do we continue to see this hockey stick type growth of this market? Well, you got to get other pages ranking because once you fix it, 
you know, once you actually have the right page, then the market sees the uplift in traffic from them, but you do sometimes cannibalize from whatever market was performing. Um, so, you know, but it is a great way to, and then the beauty is it, as you said, it's not just ranking, but you get traffic and yeah, sales and happy people. Happy and, people, yeah. That's where, like, now you got people sharing content. You got people, you know, there's just a whole different level of of signals that start coming in once your page is performing the way it's supposed to. You know, bounce rates, just everything that Google's looking for, is this person happy, seems that it would go up when people are on a page that makes them feel comfortable. And half of purchasing and influence is being comfortable, you know. So right. being on a page that makes you feel comfortable should, you know, be an important part of that overall uh, customer journey. Um, yep. Is there a tool, is there a process, is there a way of, like, I just put my sitemap in. I've got my stuff together. I've got all my stuff kind of lined out. It, you know, there's a lot of tools like a you know schema checker. Is there a href lang setup checker, or is it too convoluted on what people's goals are to really have a single checker kind of tell you what's right or wrong? Um, for href lang in page, there is a checker. So um, you know, Max Prin and and uh, his team, I think it's called what. H, oh, he's going to kill me for not remembering the site, but um, it, the guys at Merkle, yeah, if we link it in there, but he's got one, I think it's technical SEO tools or something like that. He's got what I think is the best, so much so that we took ours down. Um, we had one and then we got like, you know, every we were getting like 500 requests a week for wanting to us to tell them why our tool found it was broken. Um, there's really not anything scalable. So Max's tool as well will tell you to some degree if you've got your XMLs correct. Um, that's the harder one to do because it has to, you know, match them. Uh, but he's probably got the best um, that I've seen uh, out there. And it's one that we would use if we're ever checking. Um, uh, Screaming Frog actually has a really good tester it built in theirs now it will actually you know check in page as well and then um you know the 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 good folks at semrush uh have built that uh tester they actually did probably one of the best studies of the errors of how many people were using the wrong country code or didn't have return tags and um so yeah any of those tools are great diagnostic but but check it and then you know, make sure because again, if you wire it correctly, get the right country language tag, the right mapping, you're good. Um, if you're looking at doing XML sitemaps, then I've obviously got to promote hreflang builder, which is our tool. Um, we really pivoted heavily into the enterprise, um, mainly because you know we're now I think up to 14, 13 or 14 different ways to map URLs. Um, and that's where it gets complex when you have localized URLs versus non-localized or different folder structures. Um, you know, we have all these different ways that we've got from matching SKUs. Um, you know, we can match a SKU. We have one client that has like, I don't know, 850,000 SKUs. And, and they give us a feed from their ERP system. And then we use that to match a tag in the page. And that's how we get, you know, wow. uh, the 400... Yeah, it's 400 pages, but then we have a secondary rule to kick out sort of the alternative versions, the blue ones, green ones, purple ones, to where we at least get the one product. So 
that's why John says it's complex. It's complex because people's systems are complex. But if you got a, you know, a bread and butter, if you got a small site, especially in travel, catering to four or five languages, um, all consistent built in WordPress, then you're golden. You know, just use the tags. Tags can be put in from WPML. It's their multilingual tool in WordPress, and 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 run with it. You know, just get it out there. But the key is is to start with one la- one pair. Uh, one, mar- you know, two market pairs of language pairs, and then expand out. Too many people get paralysis by doing, you know, trying to do 50 at one time when they have complexity. But if it's a mirror image, um, we can suck that into href lang builder. It does the mapping automatically uh, and kicks it out. I mean, we've automated this where we can pull in XML sitemaps. We can pull in, um, you know, through the API from on crawl and deep crawl. Um, so we, we match them both. And that's another interesting thing. If you look at what your CMS creates on XML sitemaps and what you find on a crawl, we've yet to find even some of the best run SEO programs that the two lists are ever the same. Um and what's nice is there's as much as a 40% delta, you know, that those concentric circles, it's frightening how little one or the other gets. And the more complex your site, the less likely the crawler is going to get it. Um, and yet there's other simple stuff that your CMS is not producing. So just doing that test uh, to find that gap, you'll often find that there's a significant amount of content that's not being indexed. Again, it's one of those, you know, basic things that we should be doing. We just never have time to do it and it doesn't have a cool factor, but it can surface some really, um, you know, critical content that may not be uh, getting submitted. Yeah. And I'll make sure I get the uh, hreflang builder uh, information and link it out in the uh, recap post for this uh, podcast itself. Uh, You know, it's really fascinating and we're kind of running out of time, but I did want to, you know, segue kind of into a different, quick topic and that's just you had mentioned you know um you are going to be speaking uh and uh, i believe keynoting um uh scj's e-summit which we're you know obviously super excited to put together i think we you know by having you and and the other people on the list really got some of the best speakers in the best minds in the world on some of these different topics um and so we're super excited about that and and i thought it was very interesting um and very uh, exciting about your topic which you know obviously you had just mentioned was going to be you know kind of low-hanging fruit and i think a lot of times people really want that but i think it's exciting because it's low-hanging fruit that is likely going to be a lot more complicated or complex or beneficial than the average low-hanging fruit just because of who it's coming from. Do you want to talk just a little bit about some of the different you know topics you might touch on? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's not, you know, I don't want to undersell it that it's just the low-hanging fruit, but it's it's a lot of simple shit that, people either don't do or they don't think to do or they don't think of the nuance. So a couple of things we're going to talk about. Um, Again, um, you know, Mark in his talk about, you know, the new search results page, um, I'm going to show some examples of how once Google has made a couple of the updates recently, uh, people that were dominating, I mean, getting significant amounts of traffic because of a featured snippet that they got or you know, one of the answer boxes, uh, I give an example from Absolute. We were rocking it for triple sec, a ton of traffic, uh, and Google took our answer box for the six best drinks with triple sec and replaced it with an image carousel of drinks with triple sec. So how did we fix that? 
you know, how do we even A, notice? Obviously, we saw the traffic go away. But then how did we diagnose that? And how should people um, think? And if people haven't heard, you know, you and Mark's talk about this, I think that's critical. So that's one is really looking at the snippet or the search results page. And we call it the search shelf space. So how much of that shelf do I occupy and do I occupy it in the right way? Um, that's one. And then other things like, you know, we'll talk about hreflang. Um, looking at data, like one of my my magical get clients wowed uh, while the ink is drying on a contract is find words that are ranking well that um, are not getting very much traffic. Um, there's query volume and, and that snippet again, changing just what a snippet says. Um, other little things, looking for pages that may not be indexed, um, that, that sort of overlap between um, the crawls. So it's a lot of things like that. You know, looking at some of your, some other things we find is that often your site is slow, not because, you know, your CDN is working, but uh, a lot of people are using open source software on weak servers to build their pages. Like we had a client that, you know, redeployed a new URL structure and Google wasn't getting it. They were getting all these errors and Google stopped crawling. And, and it says, well, how are you building this? Well, we're using, you know, this open source tool and it turned out it was on like a you know most people have more computing power at home um and nobody thought to check that weak link so that's why it was timing out mm -hmm. and so a simple thing making sure that we were caching those pages out in akamai um you know essentially prevented that so it's a lot of those where things that that i've encountered where i've been under pressure from clients to deliver you know minor miracles um but just sipping back and saying, what's something I can fix relatively quickly while we're undertaking a massive overhaul of something else? And, so it's a whole list of those things and ideas people can take in action immediately. And that's awesome because what I do love about those type of talks is there's always things that we miss. There's always things that we forget about. And um, a lot of times when you pick things like topics like you're mentioning, these are things that we actually know how to do. It's just right. like, you know, these are things that we can actually fix where sometimes the things we learn are completely new and it's like, oh, now I've got to go out and like learn a whole bunch of things. And that can seem very daunting. Whereas if you're just being reminded about some of the things you maybe already know or partly know, um, I think that's extremely helpful because it just kind of reminds us. And I always get the most in my personal experience from those type of sessions. Um, again, um, for anybody who's listening, this is uh, Bill's going to be speaking at the SEJE Summit, which is going to be June 2nd um, and uh, can't wait for having him speak uh, and share. Um, and I understand, Bill, I, I don't know how much you care to speak to it, but I understand this might be your last session on SEO or at I least for the time being. I think definitely for the time being, um, you know, I want to sort of work on some other things. I want to move up the food chain a little bit and try to solve some of these larger scale global problems, you know, going back to my original passion of, uh, you know, global market entry strategies and things like that. So, yeah, I've been doing this, you know, for what, 25 years. So, uh, yeah, I want to get out of the grind of, of this regular SEO and then um, put with both my education and experience to use um, working on, you know, much larger 
uh, more complex uh, strategies. Obviously, will include search, but uh, but yeah, that's sort of the goal. Kind of reminds me of what uh, Matt Cutts did, right? You know, it's just exactly. Like, you know, I, I feel like I've done what I need to do here, and there's a bigger challenge out there waiting for me to solve. And and I think that you know that's a beautiful thing to be able to identify that in yourself and have that kind of you know you, you were talking about finishing up degrees and and education. I was thinking to myself, man, I, I would. There's nothing that would get me to go back to school right now. I mean, not nothing. If they had a futurism courses, I do tend to kind of play with those. But man, um, you know, to be able to to find the drive and the grind to do that and then to move forward through that, it, it's admirable. And uh, I think you're going to do really great things and I'm excited to see what you do. Um, there's a lot of information that we've shared. Um, you have a lot to share in general going forward. I don't think that that's ever going to change. Um, everybody who's listening, how can they find you, Bill? How can they find what you're talking about, what you're doing, where you're at? What, where are you at online that people can find you? Sure, they can definitely, you know, come to the website at uh, back-asthma.com. Bill at back-asthma.com is my email. Um, I'm not particularly active on Twitter, but but you can find me there at Bill Hunt. Or uh, I do still write occasionally on my personal blog at whunt.com. Any of those will work to uh, to find me. Awesome. Bill, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, I appreciate the time, the information, and the dialogue. Same here. Yeah, it's been great. Always love chatting with you. Uh, It's a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon, Bill. Cheers. Yep. Hey there, I'm not Brent Satoris. I'm not Danny Goodwin. And I'm not Lauren Baker. That's Greg Finn and Jess Budd, and I'm Christine Zernhaus. If you listen to the Search Engine Journal show, we think you'll love our critically acclaimed SEJ network podcast, Marketing O'Clock. Join us every week as we report the latest SEO, PPC, and social media marketing news. This is a show for real-life marketers who want to do great work. And because we're IRL marketers too, we know you're talking about attribution, schema, and CPCs all day long. So we keep it light with plenty of spicy hot takes, puns and rants. Plus, we talk about what's working hard and what's hardly working in our accounts and share what news stories have us saying WTH every week. So if you're ready to become a better marketer, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and listen to new episodes fresh for you each and every Friday morning. Only on the SEJ Network.